How are you doing? Surviving? Just about? Yeah, so we've been here a full, full day. Yeah. Might feel like weeks. <laughs> I might have passed in a kind of blank, but just inviting us to um, just to take a few moments to reflect, yeah, that, that we've been here a day. And maybe just to, to kind of bring to mind, might be quite particularly, might just be a sense of ah, that this day was, you know, had different moments, yeah, had different experiences. Most likely it had some ups <laughs> and some downs. Most likely, if you're, if you're half human. Yeah. So kind of just reflecting on that, just feeling that, and maybe you know, seeing if it's possible, if, if we can kind of just say to ourselves, yeah. <laughs> I, I was here. I am here. I'm doing this. Pat in the back. Yeah. Bit of a thumbs up. Maybe a, an I love you to yourself. You know this? I love you in sign language. Anyone know this? Then start doing it. <laughs> I love you. Yeah. Learned that from, from some hearing impaired children in India. They used to greet us with this, both hands. We thought, what are they doing? And then they taught us. I love you. And sometimes it's nice to do that to ourselves. Yeah. Just a moment of appreciating that it's not an easy deal to be a human being. <laughs> and none of us have consciously chosen it. Yeah, so it's got its ups and downs, and sometimes retreats really, um, particularly the first day, might be highlighting that for us. And maybe I'll also say thank you for being here, because for me it's always very moving yeah, to to be with a group of people in this process of settling into the practice. Yeah. Always very moving to see a kind of a group of strangers coming together and finding our, our rhythm, finding our way of being here as individuals and as a community. So I want to I wanna speak some more this evening about um, kind of what we're doing as we practice. Yeah. What, what are we doing? Have you ever wondered? <laughs> Sometimes it's kind of funny, you know, from this side of things, you know, it almost feels like, ah, you know, we could sit up here with the Buddha behind us and Kuan Yin and we could say something and you trust us. <laughs> 
And kind of what 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 are we doing as what are we doing as we practice and, and a little bit about why and kind of what is revealed. And so primarily the invitation today, invitation in the practice has been to um, to attend, yeah, to bring a kind attention, to attend to the breath and the body experience or the sound experience with kindness, with gentleness and with curiosity. Yeah. And, you know, that's a very nice way of saying, <laughs> choosing an object of meditation and coming back to it again and again. Yeah. Oh, that's what we're doing, right? And we're interested not in the what, just in the what, but also in the how. Yeah, that's why that emphasis on curiosity, emphasis on um, gentleness. Because yeah. our experience can look very different, right? We can be sitting here and following the instructions and saying, okay, I'm paying attention to the breath of the body. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Or it might become, um, you know, a job that we have to do and even more something we need to succeed at. So it's not just the, the what we do, but the how, yeah, the attitude that we bring. And so why, why do we do this? Why do we work with an object of meditation? Why do we kind of bring our attention to it again and again? Uh, why do we emphasize these attitudes in particular? Uh, what, what is happening as we do that? So one thing that's happening, and um, I keep asking questions and then I don't let you respond. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's part of this kind of funny thing that happens in a Dharma talk. So if at any point you do want to respond, let me know. Um, you know, might be possible. So one thing that's happening yeah, as we, we kind of do this is that we're gathering and collecting our attention. We're gathering and collecting our awareness. Yeah. It's, it's that, that sense of collecting, gathering. Yeah. So in a way, the breath, the object, is just a means to do that, right? And it's actually the gathering, the collecting, that is, is really meaningful. And paying attention to what usually uh, we don't pay attention to yeah, is really helpful. Yeah, like the breath, like the steadiness of the body, or like the sound. Yeah, we're paying attention to what we don't usually pay attention to, and in different ways. And this allows the mind, the heart-mind, to settle and to calm. That it may not feel that way <laughs> yet. Sometimes I say that or I experience it myself when I'm on retreat. Settle, calm. What are you talking about? It's just getting more and more crazy by the moment. <laughs> but over time, yeah, with the ups and downs, over time, yeah, this coming back, this gathering, this emphasis on wholesome attitudes in the how yeah, allows the heart and mind to gather and to calm and to settle. And then what happens? <laughs> when the mind is more settled, more gathered, more calm, we can see more clearly. Yeah. This is part of why it can feel like there's more activity in the mind rather than less. Yeah. It's because we're actually seeing more clearly what is going on. Yeah. So 
we see more clearly. And the image that I often use uh, for this is um, those, uh, you know, plastic globes that you get in tourist destinations. You know what I'm talking about? The ones with like the Eiffel Tower in the middle and you shake them and there's plastic snowflakes. Yeah. And if you stop shaking and you put it down, they settle, right? Yeah, so that's kind of what happens in our mind. Just with a, that gathering, that collecting, that coming back. And so, so we see more clearly what's there. Yeah? We see the Eiffel Tower or uh, we see our habits and our patterns. And again, we might ask, is that it? <laughs> so is it just about seeing <laughs> what's there? Seeing, ah, this is the mood. Seeing, ah, this is the mind state. Ah, seeing, this is the momentum. Yeah. Is the purpose of our practice to see more clearly? Is the purpose of our practice to see more clearly? Yes. And no. <laughs> Both. Yeah. It's the purpose. It's certainly it's such an important element to see more clearly. Yeah. It's it's the, the key. <laughs> yeah. But also it's not the entirety of our journey. It's not the entirety of the purpose. It's not the entirety of what becomes available to us you know, as we practice. It's not the whole picture. It's essential. It's an essential component, but not the whole picture. So when we pay attention to the breath or any fairly neutral object, I'm just going to repeat that, that supports gathering and calming. And gathering and calming support clarity. And so the question is, what does clarity support? Yeah. What does clear seeing support? So hold that question. Mm-hmm. And we're going to hear a teaching from my nephew. Okay. This was a few years ago. He was about 11, I think. And uh, we came to visit. And he was, he was quite excited. He's a very cool dude. So he, but he was pretty excited for himself, for him, for his personality. And, and he, he kind of turned to us, uh, to myself and my partner, and he said, I'm taking a mindfulness class at school. He's really excited to be telling us. And then he told us what they do and, you know, what, what he likes about it. And then I asked him, and, you know, has it, you know, has it had any impact outside the class? You know, have you noticed anything? He'd only been doing it about three weeks, I have to say, <laughs> at that time. And he said, sure. The other day, here's the teaching, okay? The other day, I was uh, I was playing basketball. We had a match, and just to say, basketball is his passion, his life. Yeah. So we're playing a match, and my coach made a bad decision, and I was really angry with him. Yeah, I was really angry with my coach because he made a bad decision in this match. So there I was, you know, 
on the court, <laughs> dribbling the ball, and I was really angry with him. And then I noticed I was really angry with my coach. Yeah. I noticed what it was doing to my mind. And I noticed how it was impacting yeah, how I was playing. And I remembered the breath. <laughs> and I said to him, what did you do? I was quite fascinated. What did you do? And he said, ah, I brought my attention to the breath. <laughs> and I breathed. Yeah. And then I could let go. He didn't use this language, but he said, and then I could let go, and I could remember that what I really wanted to do was to win this game. <laughs> and so I could put the anger to one side yeah, and concentrate on playing and be with my breath. And then I remembered that I actually really like my coach. He's a really nice guy, <laughs> and he's a really good coach. Yeah. And so the anger um, went away. So, why is this a teaching? Yeah. What, what can we learn from this story? And can we recognize ourselves even if we hate basketball? Yeah. <laughs> can we recognize ourselves in this? Yeah. Something happens, we get triggered. And that over, it takes over. Yeah. It becomes our world. Yeah. It takes over. And we don't notice how it impacts us. It don't, it, we don't notice um, how it shifts us away, inclines us away from what is really important to us in that moment or in life. Yeah? We don't notice that. And if we do, yeah, and we can breathe and we can calm and we can gather, <laughs> yeah, then that supports another type of possibility. So remembering the breath, using the breath to calm, opens up the space, seeing clearly what's going on. Yeah. And then doing that intentionally, changing his own experience, yeah, from being caught up, trapped in this anger, yeah, to a different experience, yeah, to being able to play, being able to enjoy, being able to let go being able to prioritize the game rather than the anger, rather than the pattern. And so we can say in one line, yeah, this is a movement from reactivity, from habitual reactivity to responsiveness, yeah, to the ability to respond. Does this make sense? Yeah. So this, you know, calmness, gatheredness, yeah, the calming and the gather gathering, yeah, allow more clarity. The clarity, yeah, the clear seeing supports us to respond to our experience. Yeah. Supports us to respond to our experience and opens up possibilities of response. So movement from reactivity to responsiveness. And it's a real movement from bondage to freedom. This is how the Buddha spoke about it. Right? From bondage to freedom. From being asleep to being awake. Yeah. Asleep because we, we forget yeah, that what we're experiencing right now is conditioned. Yeah. What we're experiencing right now is not real and solid and fixed in the way that we take it to be. And as human beings, we forget that again and again and again. Yeah. 
So that movement from the limitation to the possibility, to the freedom. And this is really important because when we see this, yeah, we see this in our own experience. This in turn nourishes more wisdom. Yeah, we see, ah, this is conditioned. This is not fixed. This is changeable and changing. And there's such a momentum of our habits, of our patterns, yeah? And why is there such a momentum? Because we've repeated them so many times, yeah? It's like muscles that we're training, and we keep repeating them. And so they're strong. But the possibility is also to stop feeding them, yeah? to stop training those particular muscles or to train other wholesome, skillful ways of response. Which is why the how we practice is so important because that's what we're doing. When we're bringing interest, when we're bringing gentleness, when we're bringing kindness to our experience, we're training this heart-mind differently more skillfully, more wholesome ways of of relating, ways of relating to our experience. And so again, if we go back to that example from my nephew, and and again, I said, can you recognize yourself in that? Because we, we, this happens to us all the time. We believe the anger, we believe um, you know, the um, criticism, yeah, or we believe our self-judgment, yeah, or we believe with this or with that, yeah, we believe it. Yeah. And it feels very definite, feels very permanent, yeah. but it's not, right? We know that too, we just forget. We know time passes and we feel differently. Have you ever been really, 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 really angry at someone that you really love? And if you're really honest, you've actually, you even hated them for a moment? Has that ever happened to you or just happened to me? Happened to you, yeah. And then it passes, right? But did it feel real when it was going on? Yeah, really real. So this is good news, <laughs> because when we see this, yeah, we, we, we can understand, we can cultivate wisdom. Yeah. It's good news that we can see this. It's good news that we can see that it changes. So the way we look at an experience, yeah, the way we look at what is going on, yeah, internally in our own heart, mind, body, and externally with others. The way we look, the way we relate shapes our experience. And this is really important. What we experience is dependent on the way we are looking at it and the way we are relating to it. It's dependent on that. It's not separate from that. And we said, someone we really love yeah, might be your child, yeah, might be your partner, yeah, 
might be your sibling. Yeah. Some of the it's it's yeah, you, you definitely love. <laughs> yeah. And yet if you're honest, if we're honest, you hate them. For a moment. <laughs> yeah. And so it's not in the person, right? That's quite clear, right? It's not in the in, in the person or the object. Yeah. It's in how we're relating, dependent on how we look and how we relate. So I have another teaching story, also not from me. Yeah, I like quoting wise people. This is from a friend of mine who um, is 10. It's very lovely. And uh, we, we had dinner with him and his family the day after Halloween. And so uh, we checked in with him if he'd gone uh, trick-or-treating uh, the previous day. And uh, he had. And uh, we asked him how it went, and here's what he told us. So it was great, he said. I came home, and I just had so many sweets so many sweets. I was, I was just jumping for joy. I, I was running around the house, and I was running up and down the stairs. I just couldn't contain the joy. Can you feel it? <laughs> I can feel it. When I, yeah, it's just so happy. I was running. I was so happy. I was so, so ecstatic. I had so many sweets. And then my sister came home, and she had more than me. And I was devastated. That was his word, not mine, I swear. <laughs> I was devastated. I was howling, he said, with devastation because she had more sweets than me. I was howling with devastation. And I was like, okay, what happened? You know, this is like a cliffhanger. <laughs> you know, what, what went on? He said, well, dad came and, and we talked. And, you know, I, I had a cry. And then I could see that I actually had the same amount of sweets <laughs> that hadn't changed. Yeah? I think it's a great story. Yeah? Great teaching. It hadn't changed. I had the same amount of sweets. And so then I, then I could relax, he said. You know, the storm passed. Then I could relax. So, you know, just that clarity, yeah? Like, being able, this is huge, being able to see actually the amount of sweets didn't change, yeah? The amount of sweets didn't change. And that allowed him to relax and to let go and to be even happy again, not as exhilarated <laughs> as the first time but happy and content enough. Yeah. And so what changed? The amount of sweets didn't change. Yeah. I would say to him, T, what changed? Yeah. The amount of sweets didn't change. He said, ah, I was looking at it. Yeah. Whether I was looking at what I had or whether I was looking at what my sister had and comparing. So it's in the way of relating. It's in how we look. Yeah. And that is changeable. And that is changeable. And this is so much of what we're doing in practice. 
So when we have enough space, yeah, and it, it is very much what we're cultivating in the practice, having enough space yeah, to see what is going on, to not be caught up in our habits of reactivity, yeah, and then to see what else is possible, yeah, to unhook from the momentums of our reactivity, of just thinking about what she has, yeah, unhooking from that. And then remembering possibilities. So I'm going to unpack this story a little bit because there's so much in it. Yeah. So this one thing that I've already said probably about 15 times, and I'm not counting already, about seeing this is in the way, it's in the way of relating our happiness or our distress, our devastation, to use his words, <laughs> our devastation or our acceleration. Yeah in the way of relating to the experience. That's one thing that we can take away from, from this teaching. The other is how prone we are to see <laughs> what's not okay, yeah, rather than what is. Yeah, and I think this story illustrates it. I mean, I'm s he was ecstatic with what he had, and then he doesn't have as much of as, as her, and that's it. Yeah? It flips. Yeah, and we're very wired in this way. Some of you have heard me say this a lot of times, but I think we can't hear it enough, certainly I can't. We're wired to notice what isn't okay more than what is. Yeah. It's helpful to know that. Yeah. So that's another thing that we can see. And the third, um, which I is is kind of really seeing, I think, in this, in this story, um, and yes, he's 10, but we know <laughs> these situations also, right? From like yesterday or today, yeah? Is um, what is it that we base our happiness on, yeah? And again, and how? And I think this is really important for us to question. What is it that we base our happiness and our well-being on? And so much of the time, um, it's on what is conditioned, what is inconstant, and what is primarily about me. Yeah, these three things. And we expect that to make us happy forever. Yeah. Does that sound reasonable to you? If someone, if someone came up to you and said, okay, I've found, I've found the secret to happiness, I'm going to take things that are impermanent, yeah, constantly changing, inconstant, yeah, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, uh, you know, grab onto them and make sure that they keep me happy. Yeah. I'm going to take things that are conditioned, yeah, out of countless conditions, and I'm going to kind of grab them to to make me happy. And I'm going to really concentrate on me, yeah, and what makes me happy, <laughs> yeah. Just me. Yeah. So what do we base our happiness on? That's a really important question for us. One of my teachers used to say, um, he was, he was a, a social activist in, uh, in India, and he used to say, um, happiness dies when it isn't shared. And for me, this is such an important uh, teaching and just something to leave you to contemplate <laughs> what happens when we take happiness and we 
Yeah, they're going to keep it when we contract around it. What happens to it? And what happens when we allow it to, um, to just be there? And so, you know, the question um, that we may explore uh, with my friend <laughs> at a later date is, is the possibility of, you know, actually being happy for his sister. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, the really outrageous possibility of them sharing. Yeah. With each other. It can be interesting. So there's lots of possibilities. Yeah. But just this inquiry of what makes us really happy? Yeah. And what, what do we base our ideas of happiness around? So, what is it that we're doing here? I think I started off with that question. Yeah, what's our practice? We're calming, we're gathering, we're collecting the heart and mind, so that we can see, so that there's clarity. That we can see the momentum of our patterns, the momentum of our habits. So that we can see that really strong momentum of reactivity. And that we can remember, so that we can remember that possibility to move. From reactivity to responsiveness. And everything we're doing here is so much in support of that. The slowing down, the simplicity. Just that simplicity of, of coming back. Remembering, you know, right now my experience um, seems, yeah, it seems very fixed. It seems um, very defined. Yeah. It seems often very much out there, right? And yet it's being shaped by how I'm relating to it. Yeah, remembering that too. And then that question of what else is possible? Yeah. This is the momentum right now. What else is possible? What would support pausing that momentum? What would support that movement from the reactivity to the responsiveness? So, so much of the time, it's these patterns of reactivity that are at play. And they color and they shape our experience. I'm just going to do a little game that I sometimes do, and I'm going to check a few things with you here. Is anyone today in, in response, if the answer is yes, you'll raise your hand. Anyone here today felt restless? Nice. Has anyone here today felt like they were nodding off and falling asleep in meditation? Maybe just a moment after they felt restless. <laughs> Has anyone here today felt that um, they really couldn't stand something? There's quite a bit of aversion and not wanting something. Oh, you're not an aversive bunch. Interesting. Has anyone today wanted something to be really different <laughs> than it was? Yeah, desiring something else. 
another 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 um, type of tea, perhaps. Um, you know, there's not quite enough for uh, the windows to be closed. Okay, desire. Anyone else today? Has anyone today felt um, confused, or that they didn't know what they were doing, or that the teachers didn't know what they were doing? <laughs> yeah. Great. So I've just I've just checked with you, and you know I can see you all. So I could see quite a lot of hands. Um, I've just named five really common habits of reactivity and ways of um, relating and seeing experience um, that are very very common for us as human beings, and yet we come in meditation retreat and we meet them, and we 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 think that it's it's me and there's something wrong with me. Um, we also might think, it with any of these, um, that this is who we are. Yeah, for a moment. I'm an aversive person. I'm a restless person. I'm a hopeless person. This is the doubt and confusion. Um, so, so these five, I'll just name them in a more organized way, and some of them, some of you may have heard them many times. Um, they, they come in two pairs, and then one, one on its own. Um, desire and aversion. Yeah. So, uh, I, this is the example for desire. So anyone sat here today and really wanted the bell to ring for the end of meditation? Desire, yes. Yeah, we've had that experience at least some of the time. So, desire and aversion, because usually when there's one, there's the other. Yeah. We're desiring the bell to ring because we've got aversion to what's going on in our heart or mind or body. Yeah. So it's, it's just seeing that is often quite interesting. Yeah. So the, the, the kind of pushing, pull, pushing something away from us or pulling something towards us. Um, so that's one pair. Uh, the other pair is uh, restlessness or agitation, which can be physical or mental. And it's kind of um, partner is uh, the opposite, which is uh, dullness yeah, and low energy. Again, might be physical or mental or both. Yeah. So, you know, we just feel very dull or very tired. And we can see these as, as, as a kind of uh, spectrum. Yeah. And one way that I, I like looking at them, which I, I find quite helpful, is that they're different balances of calm and energy. Yeah. So when there's not enough calm and too much energy, we're restless. Yeah. Not enough grounding and too much energy, we're restless. When there's um, a lot of grounding and maybe even a lot of calm, <laughs> but not enough energy, then we get dull. Yeah. It's quite interesting. Uh, so those are, those are four. Desire, aversion, restlessness, dullness. Uh, the fifth is doubt and confusion. Yeah, and it stands alone because it's, it's just so <laughs> massive, <laughs> yeah, and includes so many things. Like I said, doubt in ourselves a lot of the time, doubt in the teachings, yeah. Uh, doubt in the timing. Oh, this is a good idea, but this wasn't the right time, yeah. Uh, and it comes along with confusion. All those moments when we're kind of like, hold on, what am I doing here? What was I supposed to do? Uh, body, breath, sound, meta, uh, this posture, that posture, right? All of that, that all comes together. So these are, I'm bringing them up because these are all patterns 
of reactivity that we have as human beings. They're very human. Yeah? And the Buddha, when he spoke about them, he said, you can see this is good news or bad news. They actually don't disappear completely until full awakening. <laughs> so they arise more and more subtly yeah? as we progress along the path, but they still arise. And so I would say the two most helpful things, three most helpful things to remember about them. Yeah, they're called the hindrances in, in the tradition. Uh, I sometimes like to talk about them as opportunities. Um, but the three most important things to remember about them, one is they're shaping your experience right now. Yeah. They're shaping your experience right now. So if you, you're sitting there and you're really dying for the bell to ring, just check, where's the, you know, can I feel the desire? Because that's what's shaping the experience. They're shaping our experience. They're not personal. This is the second most important thing, <laughs> three most important things to remember. It's shaping my experience right now. It's not personal. Yeah? This is not who you are. Yeah? It's a pattern of reactivity that's human, that's universally human in the mind. Yeah. It's not who you are. And the third thing is don't believe the story the hindrances are telling you right now. They are so convincing and so compelling. Yeah. You can't do this. Yeah. You can't do this. You really need that cup of tea five minutes after you've gone out, gone out to do walking meditation. You really need that cup of tea. That's the right thing to do. Yeah. Don't believe what they're telling you. Yeah. It's a hindrance. And a hindrance is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to pause, yeah. to relax, yeah, to ground, to feel the body, and to work with that reactivity that's arising. So the Buddha had a beautiful simile for, for uh, the hindrances. He had several, but this is my favorite. Um, and I'll just offer that because for me, similes, images are really, really helpful teachings. Um, and so he, he likened our mind to a forest pool. So the mind is like a forest pool. And when we practice, yeah, it becomes calm and we can see clearly. Right? That's back to the beginning of the talk. When desire is present in the mind, it's as if somebody came and threw some colored dye into that pool. Yeah? And it becomes, instead of being clear, it becomes a certain color. Right? Desire colors our perception. When aversion is present, it's as if the waters of the pool were boiling. See how beautiful this is? The waters of the pools are, are boiling when there's aversion, when there's um, ill will. They're boiling, they're steaming, they're bubbling. When there's restlessness in the mind, it's as if there's a strong breeze blowing on the water and making waves. Yeah? And with all of these, right, what do we lose? We lose the clarity of seeing. We cannot see yeah? what's in the pool. When uh, sloth and turpor, when this dullness, this low energy is there, it's like one of those plants that grow on, on um, still water and kind of suffocate it, stagnate it. Yeah, it's growing and the water's stagnant. And again, we can't see. 
And when doubt is present, it's as if somebody put their arm in the pool all the way to the bottom and stirred up all the mud. Yeah. And made it all murky. Right? And this is the Buddha's image, and, and I love it because um, it really shows us yeah, what happens to our mind when the hindrances are present. But we're back to this kind of what I keep saying in this talk, hopefully, semi-clearly at least. <laughs> it's in how we relate. Yeah? And we can use um, the, the teaching that uh, Jake offered in the instructions this morning. We can use the grain to really help us. Yeah? So we need grounding. Yeah? We ground. Yeah? We notice, ah, there's, we recognize there's a hindrance right now. It doesn't even matter which one, by the way. And I'll tell you another secret. They often come in gangs. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a little, <laughs> really not worth trying. Is it this one, this one, this one, or that one? Sometimes it's clear which ones, but we recognize. And we allow, we say, okay, this is what's going on. Right now there's a hindrance. It's a gang of hindrances, or there's this hindrance happening. Yeah, we allow. And then we start investigating. We bring in that knowing. Yeah. It's shaping my experience right now because it's coloring my perception. Yeah, so what else can I do? So we investigate. Yeah. And then we bring in the nurturing, the kindness, the care, the warmth in how we're intending it. And we bring in the non-identification. This is not personal. <laughs> yeah. It's not who I am. Yeah. Not who I am. We bring in all of that and then we begin to play. Yeah. Because we can play with these. We can work with these. We can explore them. Yeah, we can use the breath and the body. Yeah. And the ways of paying attention to work with each of the hindrances. Yeah, and I'm just gonna give some examples. We can attend, yeah, to their presence. So remember the first story from my nephew, anger. Anger is a form of aversion. What happens if I breathe? Yeah. What happens if I relax the body? I'm going to give you a, a task for this retreat. Can you be angry with a relaxed body? Anyone succeed, let me know. Okay. Relax the body. Yeah. If there's a sense of desire for something that's not present, yeah, something else, yeah, a few things. Um, sometimes, you know, we might be uh, missing somebody, for example. Yeah. So we can feel the love. Yeah. Instead of just getting pulled into that movement into something else. We can feel the love. Yeah. That's there. We can let that nourish us. We can, um, again, breathe. Yeah. And feel the soothing yeah, and the spaciousness of the breath. We can just ask ourselves, is anything in my experience right now good enough? Anything in my experience right now good enough? What's good enough right now? Yeah, contentment. With restlessness and dullness, that pairing, um, maybe this will make more sense now why I like to speak of them as calm and energy. Yeah, 
the, the balance. Because we can work with them that way. And it's okay. If there's restlessness, yeah, what supports restlessness? More space. Yeah? A lot of the time. So increasing the awareness to the whole body. Yeah? So that movement of restlessness might still be there, but it's got more space to move around in. The out-breath, naturally soothing and relaxing, supports restlessness. Or supports us to not get hooked into restlessness. Um, The body posture, we talked about more space. So opening the body, noticing what's going on. And opening the body, uprightness, openness, ease of the body and similarly with the dullness yeah, with the other side yeah. more space supports working with dullness as well but also the invigoration of the breath the invigoration of the uprightness of the body feeling the energy moving up it's all things that we can do and with with the doubt um, and the confusion, uh, so the grounding is really really key here, right? Because what that does is it wobbles us. Yeah, doubt and confusion they wobble us, and they can be the most confusing um, of the hindrances to to work with. But we recognize and we ground. Yeah, we ground ourselves, and we remember this is just a voice that's coming up right now. Not personal, not who I am. Yeah? And I don't need to believe the story. And we simplify. We come back to the practice. And that beautiful simplicity of sitting, of walking, of standing, of hopefully going to bed soon. (laughs) See the tired faces. We just rest into that simplicity. So that movement, yeah, from reactivity, from habits of reactivity to possibilities of response. That's what we're doing. Opening out the range of possibilities for us. And as we do that, wisdom deepens. Yeah. Because we understand experientially what we understand intellectually. Yeah, we understand that things are not as fixed as we tend to um, assume they are. Yeah. We understand experientially that the way we look, the way we relate to something matters. It shapes that experience. And we gain faith. Yeah, in our own capacity to attend. Yeah, skillfully, gracefully. Yeah. And lovingly. Yeah. To the whole range of the human condition, our own and that of others. So let's just take a quiet moment together to to close.
So may our practice together nourish each of us on our path, on our exploration of this human life. And may our practice together nourish the movement from reactivity to responsiveness in our own hearts and minds and in the hearts and minds of all beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.